when it comes to the Catholic Church. So what do we say first? What do we talk about first? Johan? False doctrines, yes, but what was the first false doctrine that we talked about? <laughs> Take a wild guess. Did you, you didn't see it in time, huh? Alex? That they're the only true church. What's the next one that we talked about? Miss Barbara? Priesthood. Priesthood, very good. Third one, Jackson? Tradition is equal with? The authority of Scripture. Uh, then we talked about what? Johann? Before that? Peter. And then the Pope last week, right? So tonight, we're going to talk about Mary, their belief about Mary. And this is, this is actually really big um, in Catholic doctrine and very wrong in Catholic doctrine. Um, in the Roman Catholic Church, Mary occupies almost the same place as what Jesus Christ would occupy in our, I say in our religion, but um, I mean, that's essentially what it is. Um, they deny it sometimes, but, but official Catholic dogma does very much affirm that Mary is to be worshipped. And we're going to talk about that as we get into that a little bit tonight. But uh, the thing is, and, and the historical truth is, that the early church did not worship Mary at all. We don't find that anywhere. Um, it wasn't even believed when the Roman Catholic Church was founded. It was, it was this gradual accumulation of layers of, of expanded foolishness for the past 1,500 years. And over that course of time, and I'm going to give you a little bit of dates tonight, not much, but just to kind of put a little bit into context as far as to when these things came around and when this stuff happened. But it took them 1,500 years to get to the point of all the doctrines that they have about Mary and all the beliefs that they have about Mary. So let's get right into it tonight. Uh, number one, Mary was termed the mother of God by the Council of Ephesus in 431. Now think about that. The mother of God. Now obviously Jesus Christ was God, but could God have a mother? If you think about, if you stop and think about what they're actually saying, it's saying that God was essentially created, that God, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, there's a lot of implications to that. Um, this, is, this is their quote. Mary is really the mother of Jesus, and since Jesus is God, Mary is the mother of God. It is therefore correct to say that Mary is the mother of her creator. They say again that the church confesses that Mary is truly mother of God. Now, when they came out with this, uh, came up with this, I should say, in the Council of Ephesus in 431, the, the purpose was to defeat a heresy that said that Jesus was, was uh, a, just a man that was possessed by a spirit. And so, obviously he wasn't. He was both God and man. He was born that way. And understand the reason for the descriptive phrase, but in, in inevitably, in, inevitably it's going to produce wrong doctrines, uh, wrong ideas at the very most in the minds of people. Um, and, and what it's doing is placing a human on par or above God. To have the Mary be the mother of God, at the very least, she's on par with him, if not above him, because she's his mother. It, it implies that Jesus needed human help to be God. In other words, if Mary was not God's mother, then he never would have been God, right? She needed, he, God needed help to become God, essentially. Um, and it, it, it also implies that Jesus didn't exist prior to his incarnation, right? What's the incarnation? Because we're going to use some of these terms. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ coming to this earth, right? So, 
Sometimes you, we hear so many of these different phrase, uh, words or, or you know, phrases that we forget exactly what they mean. But Jesus didn't exist prior to his incarnation then if Mary is actually the mother of God, right? Because he had to be born into existence or he was, or he was not there at all. Mary's not the mother of God. It's, it, it is true that Jesus Christ is God the Son and Mary was the mother of Jesus, but the New Testament does not call Mary the mother of God. Um, and the Bible explains multiple times that Jesus existed prior to his incarnation. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? In the beginning. Now look at John chapter 8, verse number 58. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? Well, who was born first on the timeline of, of history? Abraham or Jesus? Abraham was born first, right? So if Jesus was before Abraham, then there's no way that he could have been born to be God after that time. God has no parents. In fact, turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Maybe this is one that you uh, haven't seen before necessarily. This, is, this whole passage in Hebrews chapter 7 is talking about Melchizedek which obviously we know is, um, we, we talked about all this with the, the priesthood of Jesus Christ and everything else, right? Um, but in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 3, it says, Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. It's pretty clear that he had no mother or father in that, in that case, right? So, um, just as Jesus' divine nature had no father, um, his, his, uh, I'm sorry, his, his human nature had no father, his divine nature had no mother, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Joseph was not the father of Jesus in his physical body, right? Mary was, but not, she, she's the mother of Christ's humanity, not his divinity. And there's a huge, huge difference. The Catholic Church describes her as the mother of his divinity, the mother of God. And we'll see that. It's not just taking it out of context to say that, you know, try to make them say something that it doesn't actually say. The way that they treat Mary proves that they believe that she is the mother of his divinity. But the Roman Catholic Church lifts up Mary really to attract all the goddess-worshipping cults of the Roman Empire. And we've said this before, uh, but that the Roman Catholic Church has very deep pagan roots. And um, in the four, five, six hundred years between the early church and when the Roman Catholic Church really started to pick up steam, there was, they, they, it was not like there was a, it, it doesn't go all the way back to Peter, let's say. It doesn't go all the way back to the early church. And so it doesn't, it doesn't believe in condemning the native religions. It believes in co-opting those religions. And, and when I say it, I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, you know that goddess you've been worshiping? Well, that's really the Virgin Mary. That's how they talk to the, to the heathens. And I know they don't say it in those exact words, but Our Lady of Guadalupe is a perfect example of this. The 16th century Roman Catholic historian by the name of Bernardino de Saguin basically tells us that, that on the site that they worshiped this female goddess named Tonatzin, uh, the Roman Catholic priests actually destroyed that site and destroyed that shrine, and then they built the church over it, and they, they told those natives, they instructed those natives that Tanatsin was really Mary. And so the natives for decades actually worshipped the Virgin Mary, but called her Tanatsin, which was the same name as this goddess for the shrine that they had set up. So 
Um, the priests in their sermons reference this, this goddess calling her Mary. But that's, that's paganism, pure and simple. It doesn't matter how you look at it. If you're calling a Roman goddess by the Virgin Mary or the Virgin Mary by this Roman goddess, it doesn't matter how you look at it. What they're doing is just co-opting these, these pagan goddesses into a form and calling it Mary. The Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages developed a, a gradual increase in Mariolatry, which is basically uh, exactly what it sounds like, and that's a term that's, that's used often. Mariolatry is basically the idolatry of Mary, making Mary that idol, which is exactly what they've done. But they built churches that were dedicated to her. They've erected statues that were dedicated to her or, or her likeness. They painted pictures that were her likeness. They worship it all the time. Um, I mean, there's so many buildings that are dedicated to her. And, and so many other things, and, and I don't have time to get into all of those tonight, but they're all over the world, all over the world, um, basilicas dedicated to Mary and so on. And, and then to take it a step further, Mary is actually called the queen of heaven, and she's called the queen of the universe. We have a couple uh, quotes from the New Catholic Catechism. Um, says this, finally, the Immaculate Virgin, which we'll talk about what the Immaculate Virgin means in a little bit, Preserved, free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things, so that she might be the more fully conformed to her son. Queen of, the queen of everything, basically, but the queen of heaven at the very least. She was exalted. Here's another quote from, from uh, William Most, our, our Lady after Vatican II. She was exalted as queen of the universe by the Lord so that she might be more fully conformed to her son. Mary is queen by grace, by divine kinship, by conquest, by singular choice. And her domain is as vast as that of her son and God, for nothing is exempt from her dominion. You see the, the, the level that they're putting Mary on. And where do we find any hint of that in the Bible? It's all made up. No, there's nothing about that in the Bible. Now, that's very, it's, it's honestly, it's a very Mormon-like doctrine because it implies that God has a wife, right? If Mary is the mother of God, then, uh, you know, because she's the mother of Jesus Christ, then, then essentially it's, I mean, it's, it's very, very Mormon-like. And it, it also apply, implies that God has a co-ruler, right? If there is nothing out of Mary's control and her dominion is as vast as God's and Jesus's, then essentially Mary is a co-ruler with them, right? And, and worst of all, I think, it actually, it's, it's actually borrowed from ancient pagan religion, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Roman goddess, Isis, or Ishtar. In fact, turn over to Gen Jeremiah chapter 44. The, the Roman Empire was filled with goddess worship, and they had all kinds of goddesses, Isis, Ishtar, Diana, Athena, Artemis, Aphrodite. I mean, all of those are, are goddesses that were mentioned in the Bible, Right? Um, Paul addressed those, um, Diana of the Ephesians, and so on. Pope Boniface IV in, in 610 took over the Pantheon, which is this ornate Roman temple that was dedicated to the gods, and he proclaimed the first All Saints Day. Now, you've heard of that probably, right? It shows up in your calendar and your, on your phone and everything else, but All Saints Day. And he instituted the idea of patron saints and then praying to them in place of Roman gods. So all he did was substitute one error for another. He replaced all these gods in the pantheon and replaced them with saints. And now instead of praying to the gods, they prayed to the saints. There's no difference. 
Now look what it says here in Jeremiah chapter 44 and verse 17. See if you can pick up the context of what's being said. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? So it's, it's basically this, this passage is talking about the fact that they were in direct opposition to God. And I think it's telling that the only mention of queen of heaven in the Bible refers not to Mary, but to a heathen idol, right? It was very telling about the Roman Catholic Church. If that's the only mention we have of queen of heaven, talking about a, a, a pagan idol, and just as, as these people were apostates in the Old Testament here in Jeremiah chapter 44, um, they, they were people of God, but they worshiped the queen of heaven. I think apostate Christians have their own queen of heaven as well, and that's the Roman Catholic Church, Mary of Catholicism. Now, Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 10 says, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I don't see any mention of worshiping Mary. I don't see any mention of serving Mary. I don't see any mention of Mary being on par with God or Jesus or anything of that in the Bible. Let me give you number three. The Roman Catholic Church approves and institutes widespread use of the rosary. That came in 1569. Let me read you a quote here. And you can see it up there. And I apologize, it might be a little small. Mary has by grace been exalted above all angels and men to a place second only to her son as the most holy mother of God who is involved in the mysteries of Christ. She is rightly honored by a special cult in the church. The sacred synod teaches this Catholic doctrine advisedly and at the same time admonishes all the sons of the church that the cult, especially the liturgical cult of the Blessed Virgin, be generously fostered and that the practices and exercises of devotion toward her recommended by the teaching authority of the church in the course of centuries be highly esteemed and that those decrees which were given in the early days regarding the cult images of Christ, the Blessed Virgin and the Saints, be religiously observed. Now these are, these are, no, are what we know, the rosary, are what's known as the Hail Mary prayers, right? Um, and they're actually, uh, on June 6, 1987, uh, to celebrate the end of the special Marian year, John Paul II prayed the rosary by live television link-up and... and um, Millions of Catholics around the world heard it. And this broadcast originated in the Basilica of St. Mary Major in Rome, which is the oldest church in the world dedicated to Mary as the Mother of God. The Pope led the rosary in five languages, and was, he, he was responded to by a congregation of more than a million people that were linked together by satellite in these, from, from 16 shrines on, on all five continents. But after saying the, the, the Mary prayers... The Pope placed his own rosary on the image of the Catholic Our Lady in the Basilica. And, you know, popes in recent days have had, um, I forget what the exact Latin phrase was, but it translates to, Mary, I am completely yours. And that's embroidered onto his robes that he wears and, and things. And so every, every pope is different. They can, do, they can do it however they want to do it with, with respect to certain things, but uh, this comes from New Evangelization. This is their, uh, one of their Catholic magazines in July of 1987. With a smile from the Virgin Mary, 
The rosary will bring to our world the tender tones of God's love for anxious humanity in the 20th century. That's what the Pope said as he concluded that ceremony. This is really illustrating the unbiblical status of Mary in popular Catholic practice. This is from the common Catholic prayer. Hail, Holy Queen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To you we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To you we set up our sighs, sent up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn thee, O most, grace, most gracious advocate, your eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of your womb, Jesus. O Clement, which means gentle. O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. That's in the handbook for today's Catholic. Handbook for today's Catholic. But that's, that's basically an example of these Hail Mary prayers, praying the rosary and so on. But, but this, this veneration, this prayer, it's, it's, it's nothing other than worship. It's giving Mary worship that belongs to Jesus Christ. Mary is presented as co-equal with the very Son of God himself. Christ's titles and, and his, his offices are applied to Mary. I, I think we see, and, and I, I'm not going to take the time to look at these, these passages tonight because you know a lot of them already, but when the wise men came, they didn't worship Mary, they worshiped Jesus. If Mary was so reverent and so revered, I guess is a better word, then why did not the wise men bow down and worship Mary at the same time, right? If she's co-equal with, with Jesus Christ, if she's co-equal with God. In the Old Testament, the Jews prayed only to God, not to um, to the fathers, no matter how exalted they were. I mean, for example, you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and, and uh, David and Elijah. I mean, they were very revered in Old Testament history. Not once were they ever prayed to, right? I mean, if, if anybody could be considered a saint in the Old Testament, it would be those. They didn't pray to any of the saints in the Old Testament, right? Prayed only to God. There's zero indication anywhere in Scripture that we're to pray to anyone other than God himself. So the fact that they're praying to Mary and praying the rosary to her and, and Hail Mary and all of this stuff is found nowhere in the Scripture. All the attempts by the living to contact the dead are strictly prohibited in Scripture. We see that in Deuteronomy. We see it in Exodus. We see it in Leviticus. We see it in Isaiah. You're not supposed to contact the dead or try to contact the dead. And so yet praying to Mary is essentially trying to contact her, right? Uh, in Scripture, Peter, Paul, and Angel, all of them explicitly rejected worship because they said, we're just men. We are the same as you. Don't treat us any different. And, and I think if you could go ask Mary today, she would say the same thing, right? Mary knew her place, and you see that in the Bible. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Number four, let me give you this. The Roman Catholic Church, via Pope Pius IX in 1854, proclaimed the Immaculate Conception which Mary, though she was born normally of two parents, was born without original sin and remained sinless. Now think about the implications of that. Mary did not have original sin, which means she was basically divine, and she never sinned, so she remained divine. If you're born without original sin and you never sinned, then you're on the same par with Jesus Christ, right? And that gives you... Very, very uh, distinct powers, if you will. The Catholic Church denies that Mary had a sin nature or that she ever committed any wrongdoing. They even celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December the 8th. 
immac the immaculate conception is basically that Mary never had original sin and never sinned. Now, they say this, through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. They also say this, from, the, from among the descendants of Eve, God chose the Virgin Mary to be the mother of his son. Full of grace, Mary is the most excellent fruit of redemption. From the first instant of her conception, she was totally preserved from the stain of original sin, and she remained pure from all personal sin throughout her life. That comes from the Catholic Catechism. That's not just somebody saying that this is what the Catholic Church believes. They wrote that. Now, according to Romans chapter 3, all men are sinners, right? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin, what's, what's the rest of it? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so that death passed upon all men. Even Mary herself proclaimed Jesus as her Savior. And in fact, that would be helpful if you turn over to Luke chapter, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 47. The Bible says this, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Why do you need a Savior if you've never sinned? Why do you need a Savior if you were never born with original sin? Right? The truth is that Mary knew that she was a sinner and that she needed a Savior, just the same way that anybody else did. Now, well, Mary's never mentioned as having any sin in the Bible. Well, guess what? Neither is Daniel. Neither is Joseph. It doesn't mean they never sinned. It just means that there's no sin that's recorded in, their, in, in the stories about them, right? So uh, the Catholic Church says, when, when it says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 47, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, they say that that means that God rescued her from sin ahead of time, before she even sinned. But of course, there's no evidence of that in the scripture either. My soul, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Oh, that must mean that God saved her before she was born. Where do you get that from? They just made it up, right? There's no evidence of that in the passage. There's no evidence of that in the context. There's no evidence of that anywhere in Scripture. And if she were indeed immaculate or sinless, as the Catholic Church teaches, she would not have any need of a Savior. Here's number five. The Roman Catholic Church, through Pope Pius XII in 1950, proclaimed the Assumption. So you have the Immaculate Conception, and then you have the assumption that Mary was taken bodily to heaven at the end of her life. In other words, Mary did not die. She was taken straight to heaven, like we've seen happen twice before with Enoch and Elijah, right? That happened, but they say the same thing happened to Mary. The first guy to come up with this idea and write about it in history said that we don't know when or where Mary died, so there's a possibility that she was taken directly to heaven. That's where that idea came from. Well, think about the implications of that, right? I mean, there's a lot of people in the Bible that we don't know when or where they died. doesn't mean that God took them straight to heaven, right? God, God just chose not to record when or where they died, right? The Bible doesn't record when or where Joseph died. There's tons of other people that are not mentioned when they died or where they died or where they were buried, right? So here's what they say, though. On November 1st, 1950... Pius XII, speaking as infallible pastor of the universal church, said, To the glory of Christ, immortal king of all ages and victor over sin and death, we declare it a divinely revealed dogma that the Blessed Virgin Mary was, after her life on earth, taken body and soul to the glory of heaven. 
This declaration was made by the Holy Father after nearly all the bishops of the world had petitioned for the assumption to be defined as a truth revealed by God. So all the bishops are saying, hey, this needs to be a doctrine. The assumption needs to be a doctrine. Ah, God gave me a revelation. It is a doctrine. Mary was taken directly to heaven after, basically without seeing death. Here's another one. The Immaculate Virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory when her earthly life was over and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things that she might be the more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of Lords, and conqueror of sin and death. So the Roman Catholic Church says that the verse about death being swallowed up in victory, right? Because uh, we see that. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Right? Uh, they say that that victory is about Mary. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, that has to be about Mary being taken directly to heaven. Where you get that or how you come up with that out of that verse is obviously something that, that you know, there's zero contextual evidence to support that at all. That verse is about our resurrection, not, not you know, Mary's resurrection or, or bodily ascension into heaven or anything like that. So completely taken out of context. At the very least, completely made up if, if you take it to the full, full extension of it. Here's number six. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary is a perpetual virgin, which... Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 13. They say that Mary had no children after bearing Jesus. Um, because in order to be a perpetual virgin, then that would mean that she never knew a man, right? The blessed virgin had no child other than Jesus. This is what they say. Such is and has ever been the faith of the church whom Christ has promised to assist till the end of time. Now, we have to point out that the teaching was not the teaching of the church in the days of the apostles. The phrase, has ever been the faith of the church, is entirely false. The apostles never said that. In fact, you see very differently that Mary had other children after she bore Jesus means she was not a perpetual virgin. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55 makes that very clear. Talking about Jesus, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Well, if he had brothers and sisters, then who was their mother? There's no way around it. I mean, Mary had other children after Jesus was born. And for them to say the Blessed Virgin had no child after, other than Jesus... Such is and, ha and, and has ever been the faith of the church? I mean, I don't know how you can say that when it's very plainly right there in Matthew chapter 13, that Jesus had brothers and sisters and Mary was their mother, right? So the perpetual virgin idea doesn't fly, not with the word of God anyway. I saved the most damning, if you will, for last. Um, number seven. The Roman Catholic Church has invented the idea that Mary is what they call a co-mediatrix or a co-redemptress or a co-intercessor. Mary supposedly shared in Christ's suffering, and because she shared in Christ's suffering, she, was, she shared in his work of redemption. Now, that is a very, very blasphemous thing to say. Um, she has power to answer prayers. She has power to assist Christians on earth. This is what they say. As St. Irenaeus says, she, being obedient, became the cause of salvation for herself 
and for the whole human race. Hence, not a few of the early fathers gladly assert with him in their preaching, death through Eve, life through Mary. This union of the mother with the son in the work of salvation is made manifest from the time of Christ's virginal conception up to his death. She cooperated in the work of the Savior. Get this. She cooperated in the work of the Savior in an altogether singular way to restore supernatural life to souls. As a result, she is our mother in the order of grace. Mary, sharing as she did even on Calvary, had a part even in the once-for-all acquisition of the great treasury. Now from this common sharing of will and suffering between Christ and Mary, she merited to become most worthily the, re, the, the reparatrix, or one who makes amends or atonement for a lost world, and therefore dispensatrix, one who dispenses, of all the gifts which Jesus gained for us by his death and his blood. Jesus and Mary both had something to do with our redemption. And because Mary was part of it too, now she has the power basically to do exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. They say also this, taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. By her maternal charity, she cares for the brethren of her son who still journey on earth surrounded by dangers and difficulties until they are led into their blessed home. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. They're putting Mary exactly on par with Jesus and saying that she took part in everything that Jesus took part in, so she has just as much right to give us salvation as Jesus Christ himself does. Now, I want you to look at a few verses. Brother Josh, if you put that list up there so that it will be easier to follow. I'm going to read through these fairly quickly because, again, you know a lot of these, but you can look up some of them if you want to. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We see it in Hebrews chapter 1. John chapter 14 and verse number 6. It's the first verse that we have there. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me and Mary. Does it say that? No, because Mary has nothing to do with our salvation. Right? Here's another one, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, that goes directly in opposition to what we just read as a statement from the Catholic Church that Mary has everything to do with our salvation. Right? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write unto, unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Doesn't say anything about going through Mary, does it? Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. We don't need Mary to make intercession for us. We don't need Mary to be an intercessor. Mary has no power to be an intercessor, even if we wanted her to be in that position. And if these statements of the scripture are true, and we know that they are, there is no possibility that Mary or, or Catholic saints or Roman popes or priests or anybody else can stand between us and God. Right? And in light of those verses, it's, it's absolute apostasy and it's absolute wickedness to speak of Mary as being in any sense whatsoever a co-redemptress or a co-intercessor with Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is exalted by the Bible as our Lord and Savior. What a blasphemy it is to speak of somebody with a fallen sinful nature, a fallen mortal man, or a fallen, in this case, a mortal woman, as being in any way equal to the eternal sinless Son of God. But that's exactly what they've done with Mary. Let me give you just a couple of closing thoughts and we're done. But in Scripture, Mary is not exalted like she is in the Catholic Church. The exaltation that the Catholic Church gives to Mary is completely made up outside of what we find in the Word of God. In fact, there's not one mention of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in all of the epistles from Romans to Revelation. She's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and that's it. Romans to Revelation never mentions Mary again. If Mary was so important and so necessary for our salvation, for our redemption, for our intercession, then don't you think at least somewhere somebody would have prayed to Mary? In Romans to Revelation? Right? Don't you think somewhere that at least her name would have been mentioned in there? Yes, Mary was blessed above other women to to have had the privilege of, of bringing the Savior into the world. But that doesn't give us the right to let our imaginations run wild like the Catholic Church does and like Catholic theologians have done in calling Mary the Immaculate Queen of Heaven, right? It doesn't give us the right to say all of these other things about her because she's called blessed, right? To attribute any aspect of salvation to or to give any devotion to Mary is idolatry and it's obviously it's, it's an abomination to God. Mary is the Savior's human mother, but she's not a co-mediator. She's not a co-intercessor. She's not a co-redemptress or any of these other things. Those titles are utterly blasphemous when you apply them to Mary. She does not belong in any of those positions. Was she blessed? Yes, because she carried the Savior. Was she blessed? Yes, because she was a virgin and gave birth. Was she blessed? Yes, because she obviously was fit to be the mother of the human side of Jesus Christ. But that's where it stops. That's where it stops. God has obviously blessed many, many other people in the Bible, right? Now, none of them were able to carry Jesus Christ. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that any of them should be exalted, and it doesn't mean that Mary should be exalted either. So there's, there's, there's honestly a lot more that I could have given you about Mary and, and about how they feel about her, but it's, this is kind of a, an overview of it, but you get the picture right? They hold Mary in the same light as they hold Jesus Christ. They hold Mary in the same light as they do when it comes to salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And that's what we find in the Bible, not all this other stuff about Mary. So what we'll talk about next time, next Wednesday, is the sacraments. Yes, Ms. Barbara. Oh, I'm finished. Sure, go ahead. I'm finished. Yes. Okay.
Mm. Yeah. That's, it's so, yeah, it's so blasphemous, and, and all of it is just, it's so political at the same time. And that's exactly what it is. The, the Pope has never been separated from politics because that's, that's why they're in the position that they're in. And one of the things that they would like to do if they could is to make the Pope the ruler of the entire world when it comes to religion and politics. Um, so it's a very, very dangerous thing that the Catholic, the, the Catholic Church is a very, very dangerous organization um, and very, very much under the control of Satan himself. Um, um, there's no, there, I have no hesitation in saying that at all, um, especially when you consider how, how blasphemous 99% of the stuff is that they talk about, you know, when it comes to Jesus and Mary and all these other things. And, you know, a lot of people look at them as, oh, they're not that bad. They believe in Jesus. They believe in Christmas, you know, the birth. They believe in Easter, the resurrection. They believe in all of these other things. They fight against, you know, homosexuality and abortion and all these other things. They, you know, that's always been a traditional Catholic thing. And obviously those are decent things. But don't be fooled into thinking that the Catholic Church is preaching the truth or that they're a harmless organization because they have some of these things that line up with what we agree with according to the Word of God. They're very, very dangerous, and they're very much under the control of Satan himself. And I have no hesitation in saying that whatsoever. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get near the end of this whole series. But um, next week we're going to talk about the sacraments. We have... Two, if you want to call them sacraments. What are they? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. They have seven. And so we'll talk about those when we get back together next week. All right? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to, to, to know the truth of the Word of God. I pray for those that are lost in darkness, as Paul said, that, that you'd open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. We want them to receive the same forgiveness of sins that we've received from Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd help us as we try to spread the message of the gospel, that you'd give us boldness, that you'd give us opportunity, and that we'd take every chance we get to do that. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.